This week at church, Pastor Robin McKinley continues his series in James with Tempting Faith. Cheat, he can't steal, he can't tempt. It is not within his character to do those things. You can join us every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for free coffee, free baked goods, a worship service, and a sermon to follow. The church is located by the Coventry Mall on Laurelwood Road. All right, we're continuing our series on faith, and we're looking through the book of James, going through verse by verse. This is our third week, and even though the um, title says tempting faith, we're not going to tempt faith, okay? It, we're just, uh, it's the faith that we need to uh, see through temptations. All right, so this is our third week. We First two weeks, we talked about trials. Now, God gives us trials to help us mature in Him and to help us to be complete, on the other hand, Satan tempts us to try to destroy us, or at least to get us to deny our faith, which in the end will destroy us. So today we're going to look at what James says about being tempted. We're taking a look still in chapter 1, verse 13. Uh, let's read it together here. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, dear brothers. And sisters, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So, it's Satan's desire to solicit every person to manifest his evil character. He wants you and me to act like him, he wants us to defy and to rebel against God. He wants us to misuse our humanity to deny the glory God so richly deserves. Satan wants us to think that by our self-effort, we can be like God. And therefore, we can live like we don't need God. He doesn't want us to live under God's authority. He doesn't want us to have absolute dependence on God. He wants us to trust ourselves. He wants us to trust our own abilities and our own ingenuity. Completely opposite of God's will. Satan wants us to live lives that misinterpret who we are in Christ. He wants us to live like hypocrites and to doubt the reality of our faith. He wants us to become uh, poor in our testimony because it will his cause. So to be clear, Satan might be the instigator of temptation, but he cannot make us do anything. Let me repeat that. He cannot make us do anything. He can offer you the bait but he can't make you bite. And here's something, and a point that I really need to, 
to make clear to you is being tempted is not a sin. Jesus was tempted. Okay? We must understand temptation, though, and how to handle temptation. So I'm starting with your notes, if you'd like to follow along. The scripture says, when tempted, no one should say, I, I am being tempted by God. So the first line in your notes is, the persistence of temptation. The persistence of temptation. The word tells us that temptation, like trials, is something that's unavoidable. We all are going to face temptation, inescapable. But Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. See, you might think that no one has ever been tempted like you are being tempted or like you have been tempted. But Satan doesn't have any new tricks under his sleeve. There's nothing new under the sun that he can bring your way to tempt you with that he hasn't already tempted somebody else with. In fact, the same type of temptations you experience, the Bible tells us Jesus also was tempted by. God isn't to blame. You know, I can't stand to hear people blame God for things. First of all, He's the creator of the universe. Everything you see, he has created. Everything you can't see, and I'm talking about the air, breath, and all that kind of stuff, he has created. No one should rationalize that God is to blame. Why? Not because he's the creator of all things. The word by God carries the idea of distant or remote, meaning that God cannot be even indirectly connected with nation or sin. God isn't responsible. That's actually man's mode of operation. Blame for someone else. You know, from the beginning of sin, from the beginning, sin's nature is to pass the blame. Remember when God confronted a uh, Adam and Eve in the garden. Adam blamed Eve. He also blamed God. Eve blamed the serpent. Satan might be the tempter, but friends, we are the culprits. We are the ones who will decide if we are going to be guilty or innocent of giving in to temptation. God isn't the blame. And you can't say, the devil made me do it. You the man or you the woman. Don't, whichever case might be. All right, let's move on. Point number two. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Let's talk about the holiness of God. The holiness of God. God is untemptable. James says God cannot be tempted. He's saying he is without the capacity to tempt. Can God do everything on the face of the earth? Can God do anything you ask him to do? No. He can't lie. He can't cheat. He can't steal. He can't tempt. It is not within his character to do those things. 
One person said, His holiness is eternally unmixed with anything less than pure and perfect righteousness. The psalmist tells us, For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. God is untempting. Because God cannot be directly or indirectly connected with temptation and sin, He therefore can't tempt anyone to sin. It simply isn't within Him. He's a perfect Father. He only gives those things that are good to His children. And that's why James says in verse 17, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. And that's what we sang this morning. Majesty. Worship His majesty. It's an unchanging, unshifting kingdom that will rule forever and ever. I can't wait. But I'm going to have to. God can't be associated with temptation or sin because He's incapable of doing anything that isn't good. His perfect, His holy character always results in goodness. He can't be held responsible for evil, and he is the one who is responsible for all good. God loves you. He doesn't lure you. He blesses you. He doesn't bait you. He encourages you. He doesn't entice you. Why? Because he is good all the time. That's why he sent his son Jesus to come to the earth, to be tempted the same as we are being tempted, to show us that he can't be taken in by temptation. That's why Jesus hung on the cross, because God is the author of all good. That's why Jesus took all sin for all man, died. He took the keys of death. He arose again. That's why Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, hoping that you will call upon His name so that you can enter into glory sinless because of what He has done for you. So, if we can't blame God, and we can't blame the devil, who's responsible for my sin? Who can I blame for my actions? Well, take your finger and kind of point it right here. Not me, you guys. <laughs> because here's what this verse says in 14. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. So the next line we're filling in, the misery of man. The misery of man. The universality of temptation. James states that no one is immune from being tempted. And even Jesus wasn't immune from being tempted. And it's not just going to happen once. No. It will happen over and over and over again. Each of us 
are tempted. When? When are we tempted? The NIV uses the word dragged. That word means when we are carried away by an inner desire. The word was used as a hunting term to refer to a baited trap used to lure an unsuspecting animal. Snap! Got it. Couldn't get away. The word enticed is something similar, only this is a fishing term. Described to, uh, describing the used to lure and catch fish. Now our resident fisher isn't with us this morning, but I have notes on how to catch fish. Okay? To catch your prey, you have to use the right bait. Animals and fish are lured into traps and hooks because the bait is simply too irresistible and attractive for them to resist. Think about this. You can throw a little piece of metal into the water and get some action on that thing and it will entice a fish to get it. That ain't even food. Tiny. Looks good. Some bait smells good. Sounds good. Sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? It appeals to their senses, to their desire. For the bait is strong. It causes them to lose all caution and to overlook the trap and to take the bait. This is exactly how Satan tempts us. You see, Satan is this tremendous psychiatrist who can't get into your brain literally and cause you to do things you don't want to do, but he knows how you think and he knows what you do and he knows why you're doing it. He's got this psych psychiatric thing, okay? He knows our natural inclinations. He knows our desires. Satan and his cronies, they set up evil traps, preying on our lusts. He makes sin look as attractive as possible so that we might throw caution to the wind and take his bait. Notice, we're enticed by our own desires. It's what I want. It's what you want. It's what is exciting to you and to me. What kind of desires? Evil desires, which means lusts or fleshly desires, inborn desires due to having a fallen nature. You know, I sin because I'm a sinner. You sin because you're a sinner. I lust because I want. You lust because you want. It doesn't help matters because many like to take risks when temptation comes. We like to tempt temptation. We like to live on the edge or the ledge of our lust. Friends, don't tempt 
temptation. Stay away from the edges. Stay away from the ledges of sin. Your lust is very desirable to you. And your enemy knows how to bait the hook to entice you. King David had a natural human desire for a woman that was conceived in deception. It was planned in the heart. It was acted upon in the flesh. And it led to death. Now here are four things that we can learn from David's mishandling of temptation. Temptation finds people in the wrong place at the wrong time. When David should have been off, he'd taken a sick day, stayed home. Temptation finds people who live on the edge and the ledge. It is so easy to lose your balance. Or to have someone who doesn't care for you give you a little nudge. Don't give people who want to see you fall an open shot. Temptation, number three, finds people who live without accountability and friends. Who do not have in their life someone who loves them enough to hold them accountable and confront the sinful nature in times of temptation. All of us here need accountability. Temptation finds people who live without concern or restraint. You know, a speed bump is to slow us down, to get us to drive cautiously. We need spiritual speed bumps to slow down the temptation to sin process. And God's word is the best speed bump that we have to our advantage. In realizing our struggle, I think it's vital we understand the temptation process. To help us, James challenges his analogy from hunting and fishing to childbirth. Here's what he says. He says then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. So let's talk about the stages here that James tells us about. The first stage is desire. Desires are morally and spiritually neutral. Let me tell you what I mean by that. I can say, I have a desire to go to the bank and get some money. Now, I can go to the, my desire could be go to the bank, fill out a uh, withdrawal slip and withdraw money from my account. Or my desire could be I'll go in with a gun and hold them up and get money. The desire is a desire. It's neither good nor bad. It's what we do with the desire. By nature, we are selfish. We are self-absorbed beings. We possess lusts which we long to satisfy, including pride, pressure, power, possessions, prestige, It's though the motivation and application of our desire that uh, through the motivation and application of our desire that determines whether or not it's sinful. So we have the desire. Next stage is deceit. The deception stage is simple. My flesh craves and my mind rationalizes. That's where we get that term, well, it's not that bad. 
well, how bad is it, okay? That's, that's a rationalization. The end result is the conception of sin. As with human conception, life begins at conception. And then in the gestation period, uh, might require 40 weeks, life has already begun. It was conceived, it started at conception. And so it is with sin. That's what James says. When desire moves from an emotional impulse to a thought, lust has been conceived. And then he goes on. The next one is determination. This phrase of the process, the mind moves into the planning stage of satisfying the desire. This stage involves the will. It has been longed for and it has been rationalized and now has become a matter of choice. I want it, I will have it, which leads us to disobedience. Once desire has been rationalized and chosen, the result is an action. Up to this point, sin was only in the temptation stage. It could have been stopped anywhere along the way. But now, once the mind, the emotions, and the will have acted, it's all over but the crying. It only makes sense that the sooner the process, in the process, you nip it at the bud, the easier it is to overcome. Conversely, the longer you wait to resist, the more difficult it becomes to overcome temptation. Then the last stage is death. Worship team, come if you'd like. Unfortunately, despite the hype and the advertising of Satan, sin is only fun and enjoyable for a season. Then payday comes. And sin always requires more than we're willing to pay. In fact, we all know the scripture Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6, the wages of sin is death. He also tells us in Galatians chapter 6, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And whatever, or whoever sows to please their flesh, from flesh will reap destruction. I'm going to stop the verse right there. Because many of us give up at that point right there. We reap to destruction. We look at our lives. We think, you know, I've yielded to this temptation. We might not use those words. We might say, I've done this, and I've done this, and I've done this, and I've done this. And we say, there's no way God can love us anymore. There's no way that I can face people at church anymore. There's no way that I am worthy of anything the Lord can do for me, which you're right, whether you yield to temptation or not, you are not worthy. But I want to tell you, I mentioned it earlier in this message, Jesus died on the cross for you. He said, I will not leave you alone. I will send the Comforter. I'll send you the Holy Spirit to help to guide you, to help you teach you, to help keep you on the proper path, and you know something? If we're enticed, 
if we take the bait and we yield to temptation, it's not the end of the world. Go to the Lord. Ask forgiveness. Thank Jesus for shedding his blood that you can be forgiven. Ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I need your guidance now more than ever. Get into the word. Let the speed bumps come up. Uh, what, what, are they, what are they called at the, at the college down there? They're called speed ramps or something like that. They're, they're long things, you know. And that's what we need in our life. We, we need these bumps to turn into long platforms that we know, that we know, that we know, that we never have to say, well, it's not that bad. We can say, I'm serving God who's good all the time, all the time. So the uh, verse goes on. It says, whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. But it goes on to say, whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So maybe you have done something to please the flesh. And you know it wasn't right, but you did it. You took the bait, you were enticed, you entered the action. This morning, let's turn that around. Let's do something to please the Spirit. Let's turn from that yielding of temptation and let's come back to Jesus full force.